Hello and welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me, as always, is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. How excited are you to finish the Powder Mage trilogy? Just answer me that question. It, it's a it's a podcast first, uh, right. Mr. Verum, Mr. Tyler. Uh, so I am I'm pretty happy about this. We have we have made it. This is this is sort of a milestone for us. Would you not agree? Yeah, that's true. We are going to finally finish a series on the podcast. So I'm actually I don't remember when the first when Promise of Blood came out. I think that was at the beginning of 2022 is when we did started that. Um, that was right before the uh, the baby hiatus that I had. Um, <laughs> so I think we did that episode and then we went on we went on uh, on hiatus for the podcast. So and then we returned and we did uh, the Crimson Campaign. And then now we are finally finishing with the Autumn Republic in 2023. These are going to go up in February, if I'm not mistaken. And so, yeah, actually, that's it'll be one year ago that we started the series that we're now finishing. Look at us. So there Traveling you go. Traveling through time. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll put links to the uh, other podcasts that we did uh, in the series as well down in the description and also put a a card up there. I think it's up on this side somewhere. So I'll put a card on YouTube if you're watching the video version. And speaking of the video version, make sure you guys go over to the YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. And uh, yeah, we're trying to get to we're almost we're like 56 subscribers. So I want to get to a hundred, got to get to a hundred guys. So uh, yeah, go over there and support that. Leave a comment, like, or do whatever you want, you want to do. And, Help us uh, get to a hundo. A hundo. Yeah. And we're also on other social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, not that I use all of them all the time, but yeah, you can go follow us on all of those different platforms. And you can also check out the website, pagesoflight.com, and see uh, just like Pages of Light as a brand, like what it is, what our mission is, what I'm trying to kind of do with the brand. So you can check out the stuff over there. And yes, as I mentioned, we're going to be finishing this uh, book series, uh, The Powder Mage Trilogy by Brian McClelland. Uh, with the autumn republic so we already did part one and so this will be part two which is chapters 28 until the end of the book the epilogue and yeah i'm also excited to just finish this series and talk about it and yeah it's just fun to finally finish something and it's always like whenever you start a series and you finally get to the very end it's like ah sense of completion uh you kind of get the resolution to all the different characters and sometimes you may be like, oh, that was a great resolution to that character. Sometimes you may be like, oh, I wish something else had happened to this character or you're hoping for something to happen that didn't. Um, but either way, it's the story is now over. And uh, although I hear some some characters will make a reappearance in the second trilogy. Um, have you, You've read the second trilogy, the whole thing, right, Gabe? Uh, no, I actually haven't completed it. I think I... Oh, okay. um, I think I put it down after like two books. I think I was waiting for the third book and then oh, like right. I kind of forgot what happened in the first sure. two. And then I kind of got daunted about right. like going back to the first one and just, yes. you know, so um, I have some milestones in my head about what happened in those books, but like, um, and like some of the main um, characters, sure. um, there's a character very much like adamant who is not adamant, but uh, very like, 
spy, like undercover, and like okay, yeah, he reminds me a lot of that event, but um, yeah, also great books. Um, just like I, I just like how kind of raw Brian McClelland is. He he gets into it, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm enjoying this writing style right <laughs> well, now, even yeah. though it's a little like graphic. Yes. Um, <laughs> in this book, we did have um, someone's head explode. So, I mean, that's yep. that's pretty graphic. <laughs> yeah, that's graphic, for sure. Uh, cool. All right. So, we're going to jump in. Uh, as always, we'll start with our favorite quote. And if you guys have a favorite quote from this half of the book, uh, please leave it in the comments. Uh, we'd love to see what you guys think. And, yeah, so I'll kick it off. My favorite quote is... Uh, from Tamas, it's on page 406 to 407 and this is towards getting towards the end of uh, like the war with the Kez and this is where he finds out that the uh, the Kez did not in fact break the, the white flag of truce or parlay and so uh, mm-hmm. after this realization he's he says quote no, I have become what I most despise. Am I nothing more than a warmonger, Gavril? Another dictator with an army and a grudge? You, that's what the old tales say that the Nine was like back before Cressemir came. They were just a collection of squabbling warlords. So, yeah, I just like this quote. I don't have anything like yeah, super I was profound. Ask why, you, why you chose it. <laughs> yes, I don't really have anything super profound. Uh, I just kind of liked... Because Tamus is always... He's like, my my decision is the right decision. We're going to do things my way. So just seeing like this almost like form of humbleness come from come out of him. Like, wow, I messed up and I'm I'm like I'm becoming the person that I did not want to become. I'm becoming the person that I was trying to overthrow whenever I beheaded man Hooch, the king. And like he's mm-hmm. trying to usher in like this new age of like uh it's called the autumn republic so like he's trying to usher in like a new era for the country of adrio having a republic instead of a monarchy and uh he fears that he's becoming the person that he most fears which is a dictator uh with just an army and a grudge and i mean part of him does just have a grudge against the kez because the kez beheaded his wife and he lost he lost friends and uh family in battles with the kez so a part of him does just have a a grudge against this king and against this people and so he's kind of made some decisions throughout the war that were maybe they were to appease his own revenge and not to like do the right thing maybe and maybe he's coming to this realization like wow i made a decision that was more self-centered and less maybe i didn't like he didn't want to meet with the Kez uh, king to like iron out all the details. And because of that, he just like, he went, he had his like own blinders on. He didn't want to hear any other opinions about what could have happened. He already made up his mind and made up his decision about what sure. the actual outcome of the situation was. And it was a, it was a wrong decision and he didn't have all the information and he made, and that was his own fault. And he's, he is just owning up to that because it was such a mess up. So yeah, it's kind of like this moment of humility from him. And, uh, we kind of do see him turn a corner towards the end of the story of, you know, like he gets reunited with Daniel. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, I just kind of like this moment from, uh, Tamas as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of shit. Yeah. Like you said, just 
an attempt at being humble and you know ownership is is the best way to go um take ownership of everything you do including the bad things that you do <laughs> right um that's, that's just a good way to go through life just always be humble and you know if you mess up own it apologies work great <laughs> yeah. especially when they're sincere yeah um cool well what do you have for your quote so mine is um, Nyla thinking about Tamis, and she's thinking, this is the same man who slaughtered the Adran royal cabal in their sleep and then guillotined his own king. One didn't say no to a man like that. Um, and so <laughs> um, I just picked this quote because it shows, like, it's interesting because Tamis has ideals, right? He doesn't want the king to like dictate and lead the, you know, the country into the to the garbage. <laughs> He's like, you know, the the royalty needs to end and we need to have our own like country and we need to make our own decisions. But how did he get there? <laughs> you know, he slaughtered people, right. he guillotined people. Yep. So like you know, he's fighting for ideals. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, God would not approve of, of these methods. Well, I, I mean, mean our, against our own revolution was, uh, <laughs> would he approve of our revolutions? A lot of people say that America was founded like it was a divine phase of history where like all these things work uh. together for, because, you know, I mean, the 13 colonies versus the, like the might of the British empire at the time, like there sure. had, there was some crazy things that had to happen for all of the things to work out the way they did so that we, so that America as a country, uh, you know, exists today. So yeah, that's, there, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. That's, it's definitely an interesting conversation though. Like when does like God approve of like certain actions being taken? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Cause it's like, there's, yeah. I feel like there's a standard of like, you as an individual like shouldn't be like going around and like murdering people. Right. But for sure, mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like a level of like, if God like wants something to happen, like based on his divine purposes and like, he like wants to bring up this nation, like America, if we're using that as an example, um, then like he will use people's actions that are, you know, for good or for ill to achieve that purpose. So however he does that, that is in his own, his own ways and his own timing. And uh, that's not to say that the people executing the specific actions maybe is like God condoning those things. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting subject to, to think about. So, you know who I want to ask? I want to ask Mike Winger. Oh, Mike Winger. Yeah, 20, here we go. And it's 20 <laughs> questions. Dude, I, I've been learning so much. It's just like he's just a font of knowledge. Like he's just. Very, I was, I was um, telling Gabe earlier that uh, if he has an interview podcast show, then he needs to have an interview podcast with Chris Voss uh, and yep. Mike Winger, and that will come. That will be his like his channels, his podcast mission to have those two people on his interview podcast. Listen, I I negotiate <laughs> all the time. I use all the Chris Voss phrasing, and you know what? It it gets results. He he knows what he's talking about, yep. and Mike Winger, he's just like. He, he brings it every time someone asks a question. Right. Um, and I love it when he ends a comment with like everything about that statement was foolish. Um. <laughs> but he's usually like always so level headed. 
Like he doesn't, yeah, yeah, he doesn't he get is. like emotional. But he says really. it in such a level-headed way, and right. he lays out exactly why it's foolish. Right. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but we digress. Cool. Yeah. Did you As have any other thought on any com- any other comments on your quote there? No, I just um, just kind of like the juxtaposition of like having ideals but then using like a worldly way you know like right. the ends justify the means I don't think God wants to do that I think there is like if you're part of a government like fighting a war or part of like a, a social group like that is different right. than like going and murdering someone which is definitely not in our moral code but like right. if there are like political powers at play i think god wants you to defend yourself and um right and 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 that's where it gets gray like a lot of people don't take the time to dig into those thought processes like where exactly christianity would tell you and how to behave in those situations right that's why we got to become biblical thinkers um right which yeah it's good so much more to think about and these uh these conversations (laughs) <laughs> bring us down those paths yeah if you have any thoughts on any of those top co- any of those topics leave us a comment um cool yeah so good quote and uh let's move on to some book discussion so uh so before the podcast we were like talking about how to structure this book and so we've kind of laid it out in what do we have here six different phases of the story so We've broken it down. So we have phase one is kind of the war with the Kez. And this is mainly Tamis uh, doing a bunch of different stuff to fight the Kez and kind of all the things that happened with that. And then we have another subplot with Nyla versus the Magebreaker. And she's over with Olam over in those um, those like hills and valleys uh, trying to hunt this guy down. And then we have the little subplot uh, with Taniel and Valora who are trying to track Kapol uh, and the people who captured her. And then uh, another subplot is Adamant. And so he's already back in Adapest and he's doing some investigation of some different things. Uh, Ricard's assassination and men without shadows. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's doing all this. Going on. Yeah, so he's doing all that stuff. And then the final two phases, this is, this is where kind of like everybody comes back and uh, the subplots kind of stop and then everyone returns to the same location and they get into the same rooms again and kind of all of the knowledge that people have accumulated from the four initial subplots is brought together and then we kind of had the final few uh, phases. So we have the return to Adapest and this is, uh, you know, Tamus meeting with his council, uh, Claremont and like the lead up to the election. And then the final phase is just post-election and all of the craziness and action that happens at the very end of the story and so those are the six phases that we are going to be working with so and then each of us has taken a different phases to talk about so we'll be jumping back and forth between uh each other talking about different things so you guys should see our notes page it is like (laughs) colored all the way from top to bottom red green blue yellow purple (laughs) that's how we divided it up this time all right we're trying to get better at dividing the book up into like more digestible sections so that it's easier to talk about and uh you know have conversations about different things so sorry sorry if we're a little raw guys like we're working on it (laughs) yeah right it's all good it's a process it is a process. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to kick it off with uh, the first phase, which is the war with the Kez, which 
the quarantine quartermaster is going to uh, kick us off with. Ah, yes. So uh, we ended our last podcast. We were talking about um, how the Kez have attacked the back lines of Tamis's army and Tamis has flown into a rage and he will not see any of like King Ippoli's um, messengers, like messengers that are coming uh, to the camp. He's refusing to see them. And so now we're entering like the uh, the second podcast. And so Tamis talks with Bayon Ippoli and he keeps saying like, you know, like, my dad would not do this. You know, he, uh, he, he kind of fears Tamis and he just really doubts, um, Bayon is just trying to convince Tamis that he would really doubt, um, his father would break the, uh, white flag of truce. So, uh, time goes on and Tamis is summoned over to the Delo King Sulem's tent. And this is where he learns of a new threat. Um, so the, um, Delos have brought like, 60,000 men, I think, um, and they're supporting Tamas in the fight against the Kez. Um, but at the back of the baggage train, there's the Kez Wolf, uh, who has some black um, wardens with him. And so uh, Tamas is kind of like, you're really letting this one guy like <laughs> mess with the whole train. Like, are you serious right now? Yeah. He's like kind of fed up. And so he's like, I, I'm gonna just send my guys like out there and we'll we'll take care of this. Right. <laughs> He's like, and it seems like, like it, it seems like his officers are like scared of the guy because they're getting like they're getting they're getting wasted over there, like they're yep. losing so many men. It's ridiculous. Yep, and uh, Tamas is just like um, in disbelief, <laughs> but apparently with with a conversation with Bayon, um, he learns the name, says. Cesarem. 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 Thank you. Um, and he's just a, a very experienced fighter. Um, and he is also, we learned that he is a mage breaker. So I don't think we've talked about mage breakers since book one, where um, they were hunting in the city, um, Juline, and they had a mage breaker with them. Um, and, th- yeah. and he's a strong mage breaker. So they are, they have a, an ability to nullify the else, which is how privilege uses magic. So um, they give up their ability to create privilege magic uh, for the power to absorb it. And Mm -hmm. then like they make this radius around them where no sorcery can penetrate. Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't have to be a very strong mage breaker uh, to be very effective against sorcery. Um, But I think they made a comment about, like he was actually a very strong privileged and he gave it up anyways. Cause I think they were talking about like usually people who usually the weaker privileges, privileged people will do this because they can be more effective as a mage breaker than they can as a privileged. Right. But I think they were talking that he's kind of, he's on another level because he was already a very powerful privileged, but he also gave it up. So now he's an even more powerful mage breaker. And I think that's why he's uh, giving them so much of a problem. Uh, giving the delive so much of a problem yeah i bet his his uh his sphere of influence is just like massive like aoe (laughs) yeah of it uh covering like it like multiple like all of his army basically so yeah Mm -hmm. he is he's definitely very powerful yeah um so more information on tamas uh is he's going to get information from a spy in the Kez army and she has 
kind of slept her way around the um, <laughs> the <laughs> right. officers um, and has gathered information. And um, they uncover that they are retreating to a final stand in Su- uh, Sukhoff's Alley. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it's like it. the very southern. It's like that at the beginning of um, the Crimson Campaign. That's where they're fighting. And that's like, you know, Tamas. Budville. Yeah, that's around where that town is. And so uh, it's like the very narrow kind of part of Adapest where the, the mountains converge. And so it's um, that's why it's called an alley because it's very narrow. Very narrow. Oh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you yeah, look at the definitely. at the map, maybe I'll maybe editing Tyler will put up a, a map on the front so you can see where it is. <laughs> Future Tyler. Future Tyler. Um. So, and then the another big piece of information the spy reveals is that, like, on the Kez side of things, everyone thinks that Tamas is the one who has um, destroyed the parley right. uh, and not Ippoli. And that's coming from his own men. So, this right. is, like, confusing information at this point. Right. But it's also the second time, like, Bayon's like, I don't think my dad would break this truce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Kez don't think that their own person would do it either. So the Kez are saying that it's Tamis and Tamis is saying it's the Kez. And so obviously there's going to be some kind of third option of what is actually happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tamis is uh, like, we're going to fast forward because we we're following like kind of like the uh, phases that we described earlier. So um, we're going to go back and fill in some plot holes. Um, right. But so Tamis, we're going to fast forward, is going to attack uh, Budveal and he has um, like his artillery set up and he's going to weaken like a section of the wall and then uh, drive through. Uh, And then I'll leave this part uh, to when Tyler is going to share about what's going on with Taniel and Vlora. Um, Because that's Mm. that's a big... um, Right, that's yeah, a big that's... part of their their plot line. Right. So um, the attack on Budville is successful. It's a bloody mayhem mess, um, but it's the only hope to kill Ippoli. And so they make their way up to the Cresm Cathedral, and they think they're going to catch Ippoli here. Um. But Ippoli's oldest son, Florian, has staged a coup and has killed his father, the king. Uh, so he offers to surrender to Tamis. Um, and Kresimir is still unconscious like while this is all happening. So uh, that's kind of the storyline as we progress like through Tamis. Um, I mean, this is basically like the end of the Kez plotline. Because when we, when we go back... After this, yeah, like the getting to Ippoli is like the main thing for Tamis. So, what did you think about this kind of plot line? Did you expect that uh, plot twist of Ippoli just being dead? (laughs) I didn't expect it. I was like, I actually read the section again because I was like, no, he didn't do that. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of a that was kind of like I felt like it was kind of anticlimactic. I thought there was going to be like a showdown, Tamis versus Ippoli, you know. But, and that's kind of like the second time that Brian McClellan has done this, right? Because he's, at the al- end he's always of, doing it to Tamis. Tamis isn't getting his any of his revenges that he wants. 
Oh, 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 now that's the third time then, because we have Tamis here with Ippoli, we have Tamis with Nicholas but we also have Taniel with Kresimir at the in the first book, where you like this big, right. you know, like we're gonna summon Kresimir, and we have all uh-huh. these sorcerers, and like you get there, and Taniel just like right. the eye behind the flintlock as. Right. Uh, as Kresimir knows him now, uh, yep. just shoots Kresimir and he like dies, and you're like, "What? Like, did that just happen?" Right. Um, yeah, there's all these like power switches that happen. You're like, mm-hmm. "Like, what's going on?" But yeah, you never know what's going on like in the enemy camp. Well, you can never really know. Yeah. And I just feel like the way Ippoli is, um, that he. Like, I can see his sons also being, like, kind of, like, a greedy, like, I want this for me. Right. And, you know, I think about what that means, like, in a Christian worldview, that the parents do have an effect on kids generationally, on, like, their thoughts. Um, so, yep. like, if if you're Christian, you have to teach your kids how to think like a Christian. Otherwise, the world will teach them the way that the world thinks. Um, yes, and you have to and you have to um, guard their um, eyes and what they're seeing. Uh, we currently don't allow Vivian on YouTube, kids. We just worry about like a few wrong clicks, and you're somewhere else, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, and we like to watch stuff like with her. Like we'll watch a few episodes, and sometimes Jenna will give it the veto, or I will give it the veto. Um, so. Yeah, that's just kind of my thought right there is that um, we have these generational um, like skills, but also like mindsets that are passed from generation to generation. And then if you're Christian, we're just encouraging you to um, pass those Christian skills down to your kids. Yeah, for sure. That is a that's a good word. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so I think kind of just basically the end of this plot is we get a little scene in chapter 44 with Olam kind of returning to uh, Tamis because Olam was off with Nyla, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. But he returns and uh, tells them about uh, um, like how Nyla did in the field. And then uh, they're like, we got to go back to Adapest and deal with whatever uh, Mr. Claremont is doing because he's got some uh, he's got some. Did you notice the phrase uh, that was used by, I think it was Claremont or yeah, I think it was Claremont. He said plans within plans. Yeah, I did notice that. I was just I, like, as soon as I read Harkins. that, I was like, Gabe, Gabe's going to like that. Get some yep. <laughs> Baron Harkonnen uh, action in here in the, in the autumn Republic. <laughs> yep. Yep. Here plans within plans. I did notice that. Cool. Uh, if you want to watch our episode on Dune, you can. It's up. It's up there somewhere, or I don't know if, wherever I'm pointing over there, uh, and it's linked <laughs> in the description. Uh, awesome, cool. Yeah. So now I'm gonna take on Phase Two, which is Nyla versus the Mage Breaker, and so we kind of got a little bit of things about this already because we had the information uh, that came to Tamis about the uh, the Kez Wolf, as he's called. That's like his uh, his nickname, and uh, but his actual name is. Cesaram, and so he decides that he's going to send uh, Nyla and Olam to with a large, a decently large force to go hunt this guy down because 
I guess Tamas is like, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Um, before that, though, before that happens, we do get a, a scene before this uh, where Nyla is because in the uh, first half of this book, we had, uh, you know, Capole got captured and Bo was trying to defend her, but he got incapacitated by the Brudanian privileged who we find out his name is uh, Lori. And so she uh, incapacitates him and puts that spike like through his kneecap. And so his knee is all messed up. And uh, so Nyla goes mm-hmm. to the Deliv camp because he's getting healed by them. And she's trying to figure out like, you know, what's his status? Like what's going on with him? Is, she, is he okay? You know, is he going to make a full recovery? You know, all these kind of questions. And so she sees, uh, she kind of gets confronted by uh, this one of the guards and they think that Nyla is like one of Bo's whores essentially. And which is not very flattering, but, she's not wearing privileged gloves though, because she doesn't need them. And so she like, people don't take her seriously when she doesn't have the gloves on because they don't think she's a privileged. Um, so, and she actually changes that later on in the story where she wears them because she says people take you more seriously whenever you put your gloves on because they realize you have some kind of authority that you're speaking from. Um, but she's not doing that at this point. And so she leaves and instead she kind of like walks around the camp and she sees Bo, uh, kissing this woman who that she was just talking to uh, and so she's kind of perturbed at that and she leaves like this note for him and then she just kind of she goes off and uh, then we kind of get the scene where we go to uh, the hills the hill country and they're trying to track down this guy and they think there was like a bunch of fog and stuff in there so it was kind of really hard to track people and cause they, I think it was like a, like a hill country and like a bog kind of country. And so it wasn't conducive to just like riding your horses all around looking for people. So it was kind of one of those places where you just kind of sit and wait until the weather gets better and then you can go make moves later. Um, so they're just kind of sitting yeah, there talking. Definitely not yeah. the ideal place to be like <laughs> camped out with a bunch of soldiers, like right. Yeah. Being kind of being hunted. Yeah, but I mean, Cesaram obviously picked the picked this place on purpose. Like he doesn't want to be found, and so he's going somewhere where he knows it's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, rat, um, you know, root him out of that area. So mm-hmm. that's why he's been very successful in what he's doing up until now. Um, so they're just kind of camping out, and uh, they, uh, uh, the Andrians catch the uh, Kez by surprise and they move to attack and the Kez try to retreat. Um, but Nyla uses her sorcery. Um, and so they retreat into this kind of place called broods hideaway, which is like a labyrinth of Hills, which I was just talking about. And so they kind of have an initial encounter and then, uh, but they don't get all of them. And so they have to, uh, retreat and fight another day. And then later on, they're just kind of hanging out. And then there's another surprise attack, but this time it's from the Kez. And so this is where, Nyla and Olam, they get captured, uh, which is unfortunate. And so we kind of get a, from Nyla's perspective, we kind of get like, she's kind of fighting and then she kind of gets knocked out in the head and then it's kind of like black screen for a bit. And then the next time we get another scene is that she's just waking up as a prisoner in the camp. And so it's kind of like in, uh, you know, I like to bring in the Lord of the Rings references, but this is, uh, this is the Hobbit this time. So this is like at the, towards the end of the Hobbit, 
in the Battle of the Five, of the five Armies, uh, Bilbo just gets knocked in the head. And then he just wakes up and yep. the battle's over. <laughs> if you remember that scene correctly. Um, yep. So it's, uh, it's at the end there. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of the same kind of situation where she gets hit in the head, gets blacked out, and then she wakes up. And so Olam is like almost beaten to death, essentially. Like his face is all mangled yeah, he's and real messed, messed up. up. And they've obviously been torturing him for quite a while. And, uh, I don't think it was. I don't think he said that he gave anything up. So, good on Olam. He's a he's a he's a trooper for sure, and he's loyal. So, he's a. It's good to have someone like Olam as your as your companion because he will. He does not break easily, obviously. And he's a charming guy, and like you just you just kind of want to root for Olam. You know, right. he's always doing the right thing, and yeah, uh, he still had that line from the first book that made us both laugh. He was like, um, I won't, um, when the time's right, I won't need to or something like that. <laughs> I right. forget the punchline, but. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, Olam's just a good guy. You like Olam. Yeah, and Olam and Nyla have a bit of a history because she was like the laundress in like Tamas's, uh I don't remember the scenario, but like they were together a lot. And so she would see him and he would see her and they she he like basically asked her out and she was like nah we're not gonna do that <laughs> um because she like had other motives at the time um and they kind of have a she conversation wanted to kill tamas she right wanted yeah to kill tamas that right, was yeah, her yeah. motivation at the right. time <laughs> right and she wanted to take care of jacob and stuff so like wherever he was going she was going so you know mm-hmm. they couldn't she couldn't just be like oh, i'm just gonna let jacob fend for himself and he's he's fine he's whatever um i think they kind of talk about that uh before they get captured, if I'm not mistaken, they talk about, you know, if things would have been different, maybe they would have, you know, dated and, you know, had some kind of a oh, relationship. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, what, does, does what do you, say what do you think she... of a Nyla Olam relationship? Do you think that would work? I think so. Cause like, I mean, the, the thing is, is that Nyla is now privileged right. and, but Olam is so chill that he could he could roll with it, you know. Right. And I think that they could be like a good couple together. Yeah, that's true. But during that time, whenever he asked her out, she didn't know she was privileged at the time. So if she had went with Olam, would she have ever found out that she was privileged? I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. It didn't go down that way. Somebody write a fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> alternative Um, reality right yeah alternative reality to our fictional universe because i mean if we're writing fan fiction at that point she does discover her powers but it's in a different way like you know because she doesn't have bow that bow there but then like right there's like some crazy scenario right yeah is she in that like forces her to like tap into her powers and then be like how am i doing this right yeah (laughs) she has some near-death experience and like fire just shoots out of her hands or something and she like melts someone's face off which she does (laughs) frequently it seems in this book um okay it's kind of her (laughs) go-to random random side plot thing over um but so yeah basically she uh she wakes up as a prisoner and she tries she actually is able to escape because she uh she doesn't she didn't have any gloves on so they didn't think she was a privileged and so they just tied her up with ropes and stuff but 
she's obviously a fire privileged or she's competent in fire and so she burns her ropes and she escapes and she's on the run and as she's like running away Bo just comes running over or riding over the hill <laughs> to like save her from the these these pursuers um that was a cool scene like he just comes over and just like flattens like all these people that are trying to capture her um so it was a good return for Bo. It's like even though he's like fighting through this immense pain that he's just experienced with his knee, and we find mm-hmm. out that they just took his whole knee, they took the whole half of his leg off, and so he's got this little prosthetic. He's basically a pirate. He's got a peg leg. So I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. call him uh, Peg Leg Bo from now on. <laughs> peg um, leg. And then we can also have a we can also have a fan fiction of uh Bo and Nyla as pirates uh on the seas. So that's yeah. that's another fan fiction we can do. Um because Nyla and Bo can just uh set other ships on fire. They would be unstoppable. Yeah, they'd be the best pirates. Or the worst pirates. They might just burn everything. That's true. Bo would let that happen. Bo Bo's too good with his with his yeah. sorcery. He's precise. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, the Andrin, uh then the Andron cavalry arrive and then they uh, she leads them back to the camp so they can uh, get Olam back. And so yeah, that's where we basically Oh yeah, but well before they do get Olam back, but there's kind of a conversation confrontation between uh, is it Nyla and Sezram? I think yeah, Nyla kills him because she, even though he's a mage breaker, she's able to like penetrate his abilities because maybe her powers are more, she has, she's more powerful than his ability to nullify the magic. Is that kind of how you read it? Like she's overpowering oh, yeah, his abilities? Sure. Yeah. Cause she's like, you know, she's, Bo is like yelling at her to like, like do it now. And right. like, she's trying, she's like searching through the out she can like feel the else and she's like trying to get there and then she's just like getting all fired up and she like finally gets it and then like right. he just catches on fire right <laughs> and like is rolling around in his like armor like trying to put it out i think yeah um and so uh, yeah. yeah that that's that's uh nyla's way of like mic drop like <laughs> you, you, i win you, lose. you like through your best yep you like threw your best weapon at me and I'm just going to make him suffer for a little while before he yeah. dies. <laughs> I actually want to make a comment here. Cause I was reading in, um, as I was prepping for the podcast, I was reading, um, some of the things on that on Goodreads, what people have like asked questions about the book and Brian McClellan has put some answers to those, these people's questions. And I was, I was reading one and somebody had asked about, why Nyla is able to use her powers without gloves. And like, that seems OP and like, she's just ultra powerful for no reason. And that was basically like the person's question. And Mm so I thought his comment was interesting. And he said, or Brian McCullen's answer was interesting. And he said that this is kind of a, to demonstrate that the magic system is based on like, there's, um, uh, oh, how did how did he use the phrase like uh like an abnormality or like a mutation? That, I think that, that was the that was the word he used. Like it's mm. a mutation in genetics, like that allows you to use magic in a different way. And so that was he was saying like she's kind of there's this mutation with her specifically that allows her to do that that normally you couldn't do. And so this just shows that uh, this just shows that the magic system is 
still dynamic and changing. And so there's not like set rules and ways that things have to operate. Um, and so that and, was his kind of comment. Yeah, because like he does, um, Brian does, uh, McClellan does such a good job of building up like the powder mages and their skill sets and then the royal cabals and then the privilege. And right. then once you know those, and this still even happens in the first book, then you learn about the Preddy who are right. like ancient and even like so much more powerful right. uh, than modern day privileges. And then you get the evolution of like the wardens. So like these, mm-hmm. you know, a warden and a powder mage, you know, are like a one-to-one, a good fight. Um, but, you know, the privilege could like take them out, right. you know, if, if they got the drop on either of them. And then you have the evolution into the black wardens right. in the second book. Uh, so like that's a creature that has never been around then you like discover that nyla is this privilege that can uh, use so even though like his like his uh magic users are so diverse he is developing them and he's like bringing out like new powers and then like taniel is like the pretty version of a powder mage because he's uh, God touched, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's like you know different evolutions and different like power levels, right? Um, and and Tango's have... like, go ahead. He just goes like, I can kind of imagine him like Goku. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's got Cap- and he's got Capole's fancy sorcery wards to protect him. So he's right. also got that going, for like him. woven into his bones. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to say, you also have the like quote unquote gods. Oh who, yeah. Yeah. Cause like Adam is like, we're not really gods. We're just like really powerful privilege essentially is what they said. Um, mm-hmm. and so there is like an element of like, like massive amounts of like power differential between two different or like the different, uh, like levels of magic users in this world. So you have like your knacked people who are like the basic right. level and then you have mm-hmm. like your your powder mages, and then you have your privileged, and then you have uh, I guess your pretty would be next, and mm-hmm. then I guess the gods would be after that. And so, and then within those different levels, you have I guess you could have different mutations. So like Nyla is a privileged, but she also has a specific mutation that gives her like a one up power level on the other privilege. So she's almost between she's kind of above a privilege, but not maybe a pretty just yet. In terms of like power level, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I just I thought that was an interesting answer to that person's question, yeah, and I it really just wanted was. to share that with people on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. I I was like, yeah, I was like listening very <laughs> intently. I'm like, what what did he say? Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, so, so that I'm ends gonna... his. Uh, yeah, that ends that Nyla section, and so I think we're now gonna go back to. Yeah, Taniel and Valora, which is a fairly short section, but Gabe is going to chat about what they've been doing. Cause, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the whole, like, reason why Tamas is, like, attacking Ippoli right. is because Kapol uh, has been captured and taken away by the Kez soldiers, or so it appears, right? right? Um, so Taniel is going to, you know, track... Um, Kapol and Vlora is kind of sent to help him. And um so then they have the the moment together where, you know, they were young lovers and now um they are paired back together after um 
Mm-hmm. You know, Valora has um, betrayed Daniel's trust by sleeping around on him, and then um, they, you know, obviously broke up. Uh, but since then, Valora has been with Olam. Right. Um, so um, they have their heart to heart, and she tells him that she still loves him, and then uh, he kind of gets to hear more of the story. Um, that she was kind of like seduced by this guy and um, she's just yeah. really not happy with uh, what she did. Yeah. Um, so they detect the Kez trap. So they're on the heels of like getting Kapole back and they're like, okay, we're going to go spring this trap um, and kill the Kez. But it was like, I don't know, like a double faint. Like the Kez knew that they were going to be seen. So they, set up like a secondary attack yeah. uh, that is going to wipe out a large like portion of Taniel and Vlora's forces. Uh, I think almost, does everyone die? Yeah, I think almost everybody. Two? No, there was there was a few other people that were left. And there were some that were just wounded. Um, there was one woman, though, that I do remember specifically that survived. They mentioned her name. I can't remember it, though. Yeah, I think she might have been like a sergeant or something. Um yeah. So they they do discover that um, Carpole is going to Adapest and not to Kez, and that the soldiers are Brudanian. They are able to like question a few, and they don't know any Kez. So here is the plot twist that you know at the end of our last podcast we did not know um, is that the Kez soldiers who got. Carpole are actually Brudanians and they are going to Adipest. So they are working for Bruges, um, who we learn is interested in Carpole because she is able to contain Kresimir. Um, and he wants to make sure that that keeps happening. So that's why. And then he did it in a very clever way because he's going to get um, the Kez fighting Tamas with his army and the Delav army. Um and then let me see. There's so, actually an interesting thing as a side comment here where they talk later on in the story about like, uh, cause the, I guess I won't talk about the reveal yet, but when they talk about, uh, this scene and they send the people to attack and get Capole, they did it whenever they were still at war and they had sent those orders before there was a parlay of truce. And so it was just kind of like a coincidence that this attack happened whenever there was a truce and a parlay happening. And so it was like, it was like an unintentional set of events that made it so that Tamas would go into this severe rage against the Kez. Um, Cause whenever the orders were given, they were still just at war and there was no, you know, parlay happening. So I think that was an interesting kind of, comment about you know how that whole scenario turned out that it was kind of unintentional oh yeah i think i missed that plot point so yeah that's interesting i may be misremembering but that's what that's what i'm remembering in my head so okay um daniel and vlora arrive in adipas uh so they're trying to catch you know carpole and they escape into the city uh before they have to regroup and they start drawing attention of the Brudanians um, 
and then they're able to send the privilege after the Brudanians are able to send the privilege after uh, Vlora and Taniel. So they are um, going to need some backup. Uh, the privilege uh, are start attacking and they actually bring down like uh, the building on top of Vlora. Mm-hmm. How, how does she... Is she out from there on? Like, is she yeah, not- she does not come back into the story until they hear talking to Claremont that she's alive. Oh, okay. So yeah. until Claremont says she's alive, I think they think she's dead. At least Daniel mm-hmm. thinks she's dead because a building fell on top of her. So obviously he's going to think, well, <laughs> that was the end of that. Yeah, I think I think she doesn't come back until a few, definitely a few chapters later when the, until they talk to Claremont. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like because at this point the Claremont is has all her all of his Brudidian soldiers in the in the city, and so mm-hmm. those are you know that's why that the Brudidians can just kind of go after those two because they're already just infiltrated the city and on patrol and you know doing all those things so. Yeah. yeah, it was it was like it was a long shot force. for them. Did you think that they were going to catch up to him and get her back? Whenever you were reading through it, um, maybe for the first time because you already knew kind of what was going to happen. Were, yeah, you know, sometimes I don't even like ask myself those questions. Um, I just kind of like go along for the ride, and it also like I must say that part of that is like the audio book because I'm not mm-hmm. like you're not reading every word yourself you're kind of like listening to the journey i think that's a different way that um like like when you're reading it like sometimes you're more focused and more engaged and like when i'm in an audiobook i kind of like let it wash over me and kind of um like like give me the story that it's giving um Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't always think about that i think writing for the podcast has like made me start thinking that way but with movies I look at everything. I'm like, this is a script that is like, like every little like thing has significance. And like, I love predicting a twist like two or three episodes before it happens. I'm like, yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, Cause you mentioned at the, in this, in our first podcast that I got a few of my predictions, right. And you I'm did. actually, mm-hmm. I'm actually not. I think I predicted. Well, we'll just say spoilers. I've, I'm assuming that you've already listened to this. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know. Some people haven't listened. To, maybe they don't haven't read the book, and they don't want to. And they don't want to know. But uh, spoilers for the end of the book. If you want to skip 15 seconds ahead or whatever. Uh, so, Tamis dying. That I did say. Like I think I feel like Tamis has to die, and he can like show his true love to his son, and that he's proud of him, and all that kind of stuff. So. I was happy that I got that prediction right. I feel like somebody important had to die at the end of the book. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you can't, I feel like you can't have a good ending to a story, at least in like, at least this kind of a story with like lots of war and death. Cause at some point you're just like, wow. I mean, yeah, my character has been in like nine near death experiences, but he always makes it out. You know, like there's no stakes, you know what I mean? Like, so I feel like uh-huh. it's I don't I don't like when stories are like everyone always survives and it's a happy heavily happy ever, happily ever after or whatever. 
So I feel like mm-hmm. there's because then there's just like no, you're never afraid for your characters, and I think that's one thing that Game of Thrones does really good is that. There's, yeah, he, there's he builds those characters and right. then he just takes them out. Right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> there's all there's never a a character where you're like, I don't know. I think that person's definitely gonna survive to the end. Uh, like you, sh- in Game of Thrones, like you're always afraid. Like maybe this chapter could be this character's last chapter. Um, so I like being on your toes in that sense. And then um, you have the, the, then you have like the red wedding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like what just happened to this whole story? Yeah. Everyone just died. Well, don't, don't spoil <laughs> who dies at the red wedding. Uh, well, if anyone's has not read or watched game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. but yeah, you'll be, you'll be sad at when the red wedding happens for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Yeah. Where were we? I don't even know how we got on that topic. Side, but. side quest complete. All <laughs> right. I, I think you are jumping in with, um, we're going to Adipes now that we have tracked Kapol all the way there um, with Daniel and Laura. Oh, yes. Okay. So we're going to go uh, back a little bit again because we haven't talked anything about what Adamant's been doing. And so he's basically been... Uh, as per as is his mo he is doing lots of investigating on different things and so uh where we leave uh where we start off with tamas is he or with tamas uh with adamant he is going to meet with ricard at his headquarters uh in his uh i guess he's in a new headquarters because there was a bomb that went off in his previous headquarters and so adamant meets with uh Sheris or Cheris, however we're going to pronounce her name, uh, who's head of the bankers union. They talk about, you know, who, uh, who could have carried out the bombing and who should replace all of the people that died. Cause there were some, you know, important people like some union heads that were killed. And so they have to decide like who's going to replace all these different people. Um, and you know, it's political because, you know, whenever you appoint heads of unions, like they have different agendas that they want to accomplish or that how they think the union should operate. And so you want to, obviously pick people who you feel like align with your same values. And so they have some of those kind of discussions about who people should be picked. And, uh, uh, we also get some comments about the election where Ricard is kind of worried that Claremont's going to win because he's got a lot of public support with all of the different things that he's doing. And he still has this mystery, uh, uh, benefactor or supporter that he has yet to reveal. And, uh, we also learn uh, like a little side comment here that Charlemagne has escaped his imprisonment. And so we don't really get any more details about that. We just kind of get that he's escaped and, but that will come up very soon and we'll, re- we'll talk about that in a second. And then, uh, so after this, we have kind of adamant and fell who is, what was the Academy that she went to again? Fontaine. Fel? Fontaine Academy, right? She goes, she went to this like super specialized school and so she's she's basically an awesome person. That's how I'm going to describe her. Straight <laughs> up. Uh, so, yeah, they go to investigate the bombing scene just to kind of figure out what happened and uh, who is responsible. And so that's kind of the setup for Adamant's story. And so we get some scenes and they go and investigate and they decide that, you know, the most likely explanation is that it was some kind of mercenary powder mage who used some kind of refli- refined black powder so that they could increase the blast and the power of the blast because they were kind of looking at it and they're like, like a powder mage wasn't be likely because, you know, powder charges aren't big enough to cause this kind of a blast. 
And so they're kind of going through all their different options. And this is kind of the conclusion that they come to. And so they go to uh, the university because they want to kind of investigate, you know, is black powder refining a thing? Like who is, who is doing that? And like how, like would it be powerful enough to have a blast that could cause this explosion that happened to uh, Ricard's headquarters? And uh, so this guy, Uskan, I guess he's kind of like a, he was Prime Lecter's kind of like second in command, I guess, who was the head of the university. And so mm-hmm. he tells them about this company called the Flaring Powder Company who make this uh, special stuff called uh, blasting pow- or blasting oil. And then he also makes a comment to them to check out Charlemagne's private library to because he asked him about people who... Uh, don't have shadows as well. He also has, has been slowly investigating this idea in his head. And so he's getting a few tidbits here and there throughout the this half of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, then let's see, we go. So they get the information about the Florian powder company. And so they go there, him and Sue Smith. It's always good to have Sue Smith back in the, back in the story. Just yeah, a good old hired like muscle. <laughs> Um, this is actually interesting though, because like they go to this flaring powder company and the guards like, nah, you can't come in. Like you're investigating things like this doesn't sound very good. Like come back with a warrant or whatever. And, uh, and, but it turns out that Sue Smith, Sue Smith is somehow like friends with the family, uh, from years ago. And so they like, wow, how are you doing? It's good to see you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so they actually get let through because Sue Smith has a, has an in. It's not you who don't, you, you know. Don't imagine, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Yeah, you don't imagine Sue Smith has this deep network of, of friendships. Uh, yeah, really. But, uh, yep. Hey, hey, he came through in the long run. He you did. You go, Sue Smith. Yeah, go, Sue Smith. Um, yeah, so they get led into this powder company, and they make this discovery that there's uh, that one of their chemists that they had, his name was Boren, and so they uh, he made some kind of special thing called blasting... A, I wrote blasting powder, but I think it's blasting oil is what the actual phrase was. Yeah, um, blasting oil. And so they learn that he made this stuff and he made some kind of backroom deal with this this group called the Underhill Mining Coalition. And so they kind of fired the guy, but they also found out that he got he killed and he, he was killed in some kind of explosion with his own blasting oil. And so that's. Uh, unfortunate because they can't question him to get to verify this information. Um, but now that at least they know that the, some of the plastic powder or blasting oil was sold to this, you know, Underhill mining coalition. <laughs> Whenever I read Underhill, I just thought of uh, Lord of the Rings because of course you did (laughs) because uh whenever frodo is leaving the shire he goes by the name of underhill so (laughs) there you go mr underhill uh yeah there you go um but yeah so adamant goes back to ricard and he reports all these different findings that he's got and uh ricard's like the underhill mining coalition that is the underhill society which is kind of a front for this like secret society that ricard is a part of um, and Ricard's like, I'm not going to tell you anything about them because it's it's a secret society, obviously. So Ricard's not going to be, uh, you know, talking about his uh, secret yeah, dealings and stuff. Coming. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think there's some, something comes about where they think that there's a box or they find a box of blasting oil in the basement. Because uh, I guess Fell is like, you need to search the basement because that's where they meet. Like, so Fell is kind of saying 
you know, I know Ricard is not going to give you all the details you want, but just search the basement. <laughs> Maybe just start mm-hmm. there. Um, and so they go down there and they, there's like all these wine bottles and stuff because Ricard's like a big wine guy. Um, and so they find these blasting oil bottles in there, which is no good, obviously. And very dangerous. Yes, very dangerous. And then just a few more things here with Adamant. Uh, so they discover that this like mercenary guy, Denny of Rod- Rodiga, I guess that's kind of how I'm going to pronounce it. So he planted this blasting oil and they find out that he was hired by uh, Sheris, who was the, the head of the bankers union which is a surprise to Ricard because they have kind of been, it's implied that they've been intimate kind of off and on throughout their life together. So he's very surprised by this. And so they go and they uh, arrest her and they, you know, they're saying you're being arrested for the attempted murder of Ricard. And she admits to adamant that she did it because she says Ricard is a visionary, but an idiot (laughs) and will make a terrible first minister. So she's just like super blunt. Um, after they kind of figure out that she did it, and uh, and that's also her like being like um, brood, right? That's right. Well, that's that's the reveal that we haven't necessarily got yet. But yeah, she is the second half of um of brood. Oh no, yeah, that is is that when we get the oh yeah. So she doesn't say it, but. No, she doesn't, but she's acting on like she's acting for Claremont in this situation. Um, yeah, right, I think the this reveal is, this, this isn't where Adamant, yeah, this isn't where she discovers that though, yes. Um, because this is when Adamant later goes to visit Charlemagne's residence because he wants to check out the library, um, about people with no shadows. And he spends like all day there and then he tries to go to the kitchen to find some or to get some light or whatever from some of the servant people that are there. And then he just walks into the kitchen and there he is. Here's Charlemagne is just standing in the kitchen making food. And he's like, I thought you escaped. Like, weren't you supposed to get out of here? And uh, they like have these this like weird interchange where like, do I know you? And he's like, do I know you? What kind of a question is that? You're like, a yeah, we've met before and all this kind of stuff. And uh <laughs> He's making uh, bread and he's making uh, and the big giveaway is that he's making squash soup, which Tamis mm. is uh, Tamis's favorite dish from Mr. Mahali or Adam Reborn. So that is the reveal that Adam is, in fact, not dead and that instead he is now inhabiting the body of Charlemagne. So after Krasimir like killed him. Yep, in the in the end of the second book. Yep. So, yeah, that's the story with uh with Adamant and kind of this section of the book. Um, did you enjoy Adamant's chapters, or just do you have any comments on, you know, what Adamant had been doing in Adipest? And I kind of I always like Ad- Adamant's kind of stuff because he just kind of gets to go into a bunch of different locations and talk to different people and, um. He is definitely the researcher of the group. Right, for sure. He, he's always finding out new information. Um, yeah, I just um, don't... Like, the blasting oil was kind of like a interesting like plot point to go through. Like, how that would have been like formed like with the chemist. and um, Right. So, I, I didn't see that coming. You know, I didn't know how that was going to um, play out. But it makes total sense. 
Yep. Um, that this is where they would go. So I, um, it was just a different storyline to like everything else. So, um, yeah, I didn't kind of expect it, but it was good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I did like him investigating the, the, the shadows thing. And, uh, in a second we'll talk about like how adamant discovers that. Cause he's, as he kind of goes around to different places, he asks a few people like, have you ever heard about this? Have you ever heard about this? And they kind of they're like, nah, I don't think I've ever heard about that, but you could check out this location. And so he's kind of on this little rabbit trail where he's finding like small little breadcrumbs and just kind of following them. Um, mm-hmm. I've never seen Family Guy, but there's that like, is that Family Guy? Was there's that meme where he's like, ooh, a piece of candy, ooh, a piece of candy. Um, I think that's, that's that like sounds a, like something Stewie would say. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a Stewie meme thing. Um, so not that I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of family guy, but I have, seen oh, that. I have, seen that and movie. I used to laugh at it. And now that I'm Christian, I'm like, man, <laughs> this is such off color, like comedy. And like yeah. the fact that I still find it funny is like, like sad and a little, like I'm, I'm disappointed in myself sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so. I like, I just I have like this okay. image, like Peter, Peter Griffin, like, like taking a man's turban and like when drying his hands on like the uh, turban because right. he like walks away from like the the blowing like the forced air machine and he's like ah, it never really gets him dry and he grabs the guy's turban and just like dries his hands i'm just like ah, this is what <laughs> i used to find funny this is really bad ah. well i mean I mean, it's funny. It's like a it's like a bad joke, but it's still funny. You know what I mean? Not that <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. you're, you're maybe you're being a little too hard on yourself there. I know, but I should like. <laughs> I guess I'm like, should I not be endorsing this sort of humor? Yeah, I mean, I that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that show that show goes deep. Well, actually, I don't know because stereotype. I've never seen an episode. So, oh yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's see. So. I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons. I've never seen an episode of Family what? Guy. I've never really? seen an episode. I've probably seen an episode of South Park, but very limited. Oh, South Park is also that. bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, animated sitcoms aside, um, let's go back to our plot point here. And so now yeah, we're gonna we go. now we're gonna be entering uh, phase five, which is kind of the everybody is converging on into Adipest. And so Tamas is done with the Kez. Taniel and Valor have made it back to uh, Adipest as they're tracking Kapol. Um, Adamant has already been in Adipest doing his investigations. And now everyone is back in the city where I think it all began. Everyone, it all began in Adipest and it all ends in Adipest. So Mm -hmm. it's a good place to end. Um, I don't know. Maybe Gabe and I can go off and on on this. Uh, this yeah, because you, you've been you've been summarizing here for a minute. Yeah, so maybe you start us off, and I'll jump in at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Claremont has had his secret supporter. He said that like when we met him at the end of our last podcast, right. and now we're going to get the reveal on who is the secret reporter, and it's Andraus the Reeve. So, um, Andraus, who is also the proprietor, has orchestrated um, this event to happen to draw um, Claremont out into the open 
um, so that he can commit assassination on him. (laughs) Um, So it's a good plan. Yeah, it's a good plan. So, um, and so they think that like whenever he goes, whenever Tamas is meeting with his council people, all of his council people think that he's a traitor um, because he's part of the council but they don't know like what his actual motivation was for doing it. So he was doing mm-hmm. it so he could get the assassination attempt done, but they just think he was doing it because he thinks he's going to win the election and he's trying to make sure that his, his own motives and self-serving interests are met. Right. And then uh, there's this whole like speculation on what is Andraus going to do because he thinks that he's gotten away with it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, how how does the heat like because claremont survives right so how how does that play yes. out um, um there was like a there was a shot and claremont went down um but as we get revealed in a second that claremont is the god brood um so he like just a shot from a gun isn't gonna kill him obviously um and so this is how they know there was some kind of uh, I don't, supernatural I, thing going on. Well, yeah, maybe that, but they don't. I don't. I can't remember actually how they figured out that it was the proprietor who was the uh, the the person who committed the crime. Maybe they weren't sure, but they were just going to raid his place anyways. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if they specifically mentioned like how they knew that it was the proprietor that ordered the attack. Yeah, you know what I mean, um, yeah, I, I I forget how they do that too, but we have Adamant and uh, Andraus escaping through like the tunnels in like a secret passage um, that right. I think he opens up like in like a fireplace or something. Yeah, or like behind there. a bookshelf or something like that. Yeah, so we were, we were talking eight. earlier before the podcast. Like the this assistant lady comes in and she's like, uh, "You need to leave." And the guy's like, "Excuse me, I need to leave. Why are you talking to me like that?" And like she's like, uh, "The place is being raided. There's privilege in the streets, and you have thirty seconds." <laughs> and then <laughs> just like that, like the proprietor like just jumps out of his chair and he's like, "I am out of here." I think it was commented like he moved with like a person half his age or something like that. Because the proprietor is a fairly old person, a fairly old guy, so that that was that was just a funny funny scene. Yeah, yeah, I like the decorum she has. She's like, "Sir, you have thirty seconds before you die," <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of like attitude. And so, um, and Adam is just sitting there like, "Oh, we have thirty seconds. Okay, let's uh, let's get out of here, guys." And he's just kind of like ushered in through the secret passage, and it was actually interesting and- because later on they mentioned that now there's only like three people in the whole world that know that the Reeve is the proprietor and adamant is one of them. And so mm-hmm. Adamant's like, well, I might hope, don't want to get on the wrong side of the Reeve now. Cause <laughs> if I do, he's just going to off me. Right. Uh, so yeah, sorry. Continue with, uh, <laughs> with the story. Well, no, no, I appreciate you helping me there. Um, so they are able to escape. And they get into like a, a wagon at the end of this like um, tunnel that Andraus has um, yep. set up for just such an occasion where he needs to make a quick escape. Mm-hmm. 
And let's see. Yeah, so I think the next chapter is just Tamas gets to meet with his council because he's finally returned to um, Adipest and he needs to like meet with everybody, like see, you know, what's happening, where, um, who are our allies and like what's the deal with the election. Um, so he gets, they talk about some other things like the wings of Adam are there because Lady Wenceslav is, and she's kind of explaining to herself, to them, like why she decided to remove her troops because some of the people are like why did you like we're supposed to have a united front and you leaving makes it all look bad and all this kind of stuff but you know tamas did all these things to like as we talked about in the last podcast like he basically used them as like a as bait and just like let a lot of their soldiers die and so you know that obviously rubbed them the wrong way and so they left um and so they talk about the election and they also mentioned that prime lector has fled the country which we don't um I don't think we actually get a resolution to that kind of comment that he's fled the country. Cause that's not something that's ever followed up with about why he left or, or I think they talk about why he left um, whenever Adamant's talking to his second in command, Uskon. Um, but we don't get anything about like where, like we don't get any scenes of where he is and what his, what he's trying to do now that. Yeah. He left, it's so. uh, it's a loose end in the, in the storyline yeah. for sure. Yep. Um, so then Claremont shows up to their meeting. Um, do you want to you want to take this section then, where Claremont shows up to their meeting? Yeah. Um, so he offers. Uh, he he's coming with a deal. So yeah. he's going to offer um, Vlora for Kresmir's body, but Tamis refuses, and um, Adamant is able to like come and give some new information to Tamis that Adam is still alive. Um, but this so, is also where we get the reveal of Claremont is in fact brewed to the to the whole council. Yeah. Um. So because Adamant he, tells Adamant tells Tamis initially, and Tamis is like, I don't know if I believe that. And then Claremont shows up, and he's like, Yep, I'm brewed. Hello, because he's like super blunt with it, and he just like he just like lays out all of his motivations like on the table, and it's. It's actually interesting. Oh yeah, that's scene. I remember that scene. That's where he says, like, you know, I'm going to bring I'm gonna right, usher yeah. in the new age. Like yeah. I've been planning this um for a long time and now yeah. is the time for me to step up and start my rule of the nine and right. I will begin here in Adapest. And Right. I I'll I'll ask you this question, because I thought this. Whenever Claremont is like laying out all of his motives and he's like, I have all this vision for this new future and all this kind of stuff. A Uh, piece of me was like, wow. Yeah. Just let, just let him do it. He's obviously got some really good motives here. And like, he wants to make, you know, the world a better place. It seems like, and he's trying to avoid bloodshed. And I mean, a part of me was like, yeah, I mean, it's not like Tamas has been doing very good with uh, reducing the bloodshed here. He's been, uh, it's been like blood city since he had his coup. Um, so I don't know. I was like, wow. I mean, he actually might have some decent motivations for what he's trying to accomplish because he could have, you know, he's a God. He could have done things way more bloody, but he's trying to do he it. Like he's actually trying to, yeah, he's trying to like win an election. And, did it. Yeah. He could have done it that way. Um, and he makes this comment. Like if I lose the election, I'll just leave. That's it, you know, and I'm just like, wow, what a what an upstanding 
What an upstanding God. What a nice guy. He's just, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that whole scene. I was just like, I mean, I kind of like Claremont in a way. Like he was so matter of fact, he was very transparent and all the stuff that he wanted to do. And, um, I think it was like this half cause we, it's like half brood and we get the reveal that Sherris is, uh, the other half. And so Sherris is like the, the evil half and Claremont is like the, the noble and altruistic yeah. kind of half. Yeah. Of the brood. political like planner and yeah. Um, right. yeah, I, I think it, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And like, even when he lands and in, in like as the occupying force, in right. Adapest, er- right. everyone like seems to like him. Yes. <laughs> like he, he's very charismatic. He's a he's a guy that right. people can get behind. Um, right. Because obviously, Tyler is getting behind him and says, "Yeah, you can go ahead and make your <laughs> bloodless revolution." Um, and I think that's more in line with like the lines of Christianity. Like, mm-hmm. Tamis had a plan, and the only reason that Brood can enter this plan is because of Tamis's plan which took off you know the head of the king and then created this power vacuum that needs to be filled and so brood is stepping into this situation um right but he's doing it with like grace and poise and people are like oh like i could really get behind this guy right um so yeah that's a that's a good observation and it's almost yeah. it's almost like uh, you can think of like how the Antichrist is going to arrive because he's going to, you know, arrive and like there's going to be a lot of peace and he's going to have a lot of peace treaties with uh, especially Israel. Like the, Israel is going to have a peace treaty with the Antichrist and uh, as he forms his one world government. And so he comes in like with these noble goals and he says, I'm going to do all these great things and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, halfway through that tribulation there's going to be some kind of uh rift in that where he's going to desecrate the temple of like the jewish temple and this is where the jews are like oh we have made a mistake and this is where they realize his real motivation um so it's kind of a dissimilar kind of scenario where you know claremont seems like he's going to come at it from this kind of altruistic angle but you know his other half uh <laughs> it's like a in a in vinland saga half dan uh, so he get the, we get the we get the other half of Brood, um, which is Sherris, who's like the evil twin or the evil half of him, and so this mm-hmm. is the true motivation where she wants to you know do things and my, with my fire. My question and about yeah, I think um, I think Karis is uh, when when was she a god? Like how long? Because She's been sleeping with Rickard for like what a decade. I think she's always been it. Yeah, just since because the I think they they were twins. Yeah, they were twins. I think it mentions that they were twins forever. Can and so they joined twins like back in the time of Kresimir. I don't know if they were conjoined twins, but they are. Maybe yeah, it's, they maybe, were conjoined. Oh, is that what it says? They were conjoined twins. Yeah, and then that Kresimir separated them, and that's why they're the two faced. They were always supposed to be one, but Kresimir separated oh, the conjoined right. twins. Um, okay, and then they became two separate people. Okay, yeah, maybe I just missed that specific point, but that actually that's actually interesting because you actually have the distinction now between. That's why Claremont seems like he's so noble and altruistic, and Sheriff seems like she's so. They're so there's a stark difference between the two of them and their personalities. At least whenever she 
like reveals herself to be uh, uh, brood because whenever she's just Cheris or Karis, however we're saying it, she like seems like she's a normal person, but she's kind of had, she's got that, you know, filter on her that she's just acting as a human. But whenever that's taken off, then her true self is revealed. And so you have the stark a lot more. Between, yeah. How yeah, Claremont acts and how Cheris <laughs> acts. So it's interesting that if they were conjoined back together, like, what their personality would be like. So you'd still have the elements of Claremont's maybe altruism and nobility, but then you also maybe have some of the brutality and the, uh, the viciousness and power hungriness of the other. Well, yeah. I mean, so. in, in conjoined twins, like the, the minds develop separately. So they will have right. their own distinct personalities that are different from one another. So, right. um, yeah, I think joining them back together um they obviously love one another but um they would still have the fiery hot side and the very cool chill side yep (laughs) all right little side quest we did on that um the one point left in this chapter is that uh adamant tells tamas that adam is still alive so that's an important thing um because the next chapter we get tamas going to visit adam who uh basically talks about uh what happened with capole and how he how he was able to be reborn um it's an interesting scene where he talks about you know capole this has had to do with taniel's coma back in book two where capole i guess realized that in order to save taniel a life needed to be sacrificed essentially to do that and so Mm -hmm. she decided that i guess she knew that Charlemagne was already like on house arrest and he was kind of, you know, a bad guy. And so she's like, well, I guess you'll do. You're not, you're not worth anything in her mind, I guess. And so she just like basically steals his life essence and makes his body just like a husk. And so then she like, I guess takes his life essence and moves it to Daniel so that he can have his life back. And so that's when, so like Adam sees this and that's when the uh, Adam is able to take his life essence and put it into this new husk body of Charlemagne. So it was like a free body available. Mm-hmm. And he made a comment that usually I'll just go into like a, an infant body, like a baby's body that was maybe going to be a stillborn. So she can, so that he can give life to something that would have be would have been dead, which is a, an interesting, that's kind of a, a good altruistic, thing for him to do is to give new life to something that would have been dead before so yeah i don't know what did you think of kind of his resurrection and that kind of whole process of how that how that took place yeah it's very interesting because i feel like the other gods are not doing this right right yeah like um it's only adam who's who's jumping bodies here um into new and different vessels all the time um like has it always been Claremont and Karis or um, like I, we know Kresimir has always looked like Kresimir I apologize <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's getting late and I just had a big yawn it is um, <laughs> uh, so yeah I just thought that was interesting um, and you know we, we made some parallels to Christ um and how like 
it was his sacrifice. Um, I know you you said it much better than I um, than I could. Um, um, like in this book, like his how his resurrection, like it required a life essentially. Yeah, um, I think that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, like in order for Capole to save Daniel, that required the life of somebody else, which would have been Charlemagne. And then so this is how he's able to come back because of now a life, like a new, like a body is now available to him. Um, yeah, and I just, th- I just thought it was like, like in order for us to have life, like another life had to be given and that was Jesus's life. And so mm. just, that was kind of the parallel I was thinking of. Um, not that it's like a direct parallel, but it's just like, like blood has to be spent for life to, for us to have life. Even in um, the old law, you know, like when you would right. sin, you'd have to sacrifice animals and their blood right. would cover the sin and everything. Right. Um, so there is this like, um, you know, it's weird to think that the Old Testament has like, quote unquote, blood magic. is <laughs> like, you know, like we we're taking yeah. the blood of these animals and we're washing away our sins because um, mm-hmm. blood is the essence of life. Right. Right. And then the opposite of life is death. Yep. So, um, yeah. And, and if without Jesus' sacrifice, none of us will be getting into heaven because the bar is too high and we will never be able to jump over that bar ourselves. So we Indeed. always thank God for his sacrifice for us. Yes. This is the good news that Jesus, Jesus paid it all as the, as the classic hymn says. <laughs> um, Yes. So, uh, so they talk about like, you know, him coming back to life, um, and how Adam took over the, this new body. And so Tamas wants Adam to come and help them fight brood. And Adam is kind of reluctant to do this because he's like, I'd rather just stay under the radar and not mess with my brothers because he knows that they're more powerful than him. And so if he does like confront them, he'll just probably die again. And so he's like, I can't really do anything. Um, and Tamas is like, that's not good enough. That's lame. Like, why would you, well, he's like, he says like, why would you even come back if you weren't going to help us is essentially his comment. Um, so I don't know if that's a fair comment, but, um, that's mm-hmm. Tamas's kind of point of view at this point. Um, and so they try to make this trade with Valora for Crestmere. And I think initially Tamas wasn't going to do it, but then he decides, ah, yeah, I need to do this, um, to get Valora back because you know, she's important to, to Tamas. And so they make this trade and so they get Vlora back and they give up Cressamira's body and they give it to Claremont slash brood. And then at the end of this chapter, we get the reveal that, uh, Cheris is in fact brood because Adam goes to visit her in prison and he figures out that she does not have a shadow. And that is the, that is the, the clue that she is a God and not a human being. So there we go. And then kind of the last section of this phase is that uh, Adamant and Ricard are waiting for the election results. And, uh, you know, Ricard offers Adamant a job and he also offered his husband, his his wife a job as well. So they could work together and they could take off together. And so um, this is a kind of a good scenario for all of them. And so they're very happy about it. Um, 
Yeah, there's just kind of this is kind of like the the lull before the storm of the last phase here. And uh, so Ricard is revealed to be the winner of the election, and everyone is very happy. Yay! And Claremont comes in, and everyone's like, "Oh, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna do yeah. what he said he was gonna do? Because he said if he loses, he'll just leave. <clears throat> right. and he'll take his forces and he'll go back to uh, uh, Britannia, I guess, and just try to do." He has another backup plan that he reveals later on. It's like I would, I would have, you know, done these things, and I would have come back and uh, enacted my plan a different way. Um, and so he concedes and he leaves. And so yes, they're all very happy, and they start a parade, and you know they're watching Ricard give his victory speech, and everyone's happy. And there was a comment I highlighted in here that Tamis shed a tear. Because he was re- realizing that his dream was coming true, his dream of re- of an agile republic uh, is finally going to be realized, and uh, then we get these rumbles, rumbles in the uh, in the earth. An earthquake begins to happen, and then the Sablehorn prison just starts to collapse, and uh, this is where the beginning of the end uh, starts to take place. Where Gabe is going to pick it up for us. Yeah. So um, now we are we are in the end game here because um, uh, Claremont has declared defeat for himself, but um, his other half has some other ideas about how this is going to go down. It's not right. going to go down as peacefully as Claremont said it was going to happen. Um, so at this point, we have uh, Daniel and Ricard and Bo and Nyla all together. Um, and we're going to start by separating Taniel out to get Rickard to safety. And Bo and Nyla are going to kind of um, try and take out the privileges. Uh, these are the Brudanian privileges who are there, um, you know, able to protect um, Karis and uh, Claremont. So Lowry is the one, like the voice of the Brudanian cabal. And she's the one that um, put the like took away Bo's leg and now she's going to like try and convince him to come over. She said, why don't we just kill Temas together? Um, and he was like, <laughs> he's like trying to kill her secretly while she's doing this. And he ends up right. killing like another privilege or something. He's like, I missed. Uh, um, <laughs> um, so while this is going on, Tamas is seeing, uh, he's able to make his escape from, um, you know, where I guess Bo is with like the privilege and everything. And, but he sees like Karis like wreathed in light and like gaining all of her power. Um, and she is going to approach Tamas and she's going to start to choke him. Um, and so, she had a plan to unite the nine under her under her vision. You know, this is also Claremont's plan, but she's going to do it a little bit of a different way. And so uh, Tamas is like being choked and he's like um, near death. But Vlora and Andrea are going to appear and they're going to like try and take her out. I think Vlora hits him her with the stock of a barrel. Um, but she just gets flung aside and Andrea who remember is like able to run at the speed of a galloping horse and has is bloodthirsty for Kez all the time. She's just like, he's a powder mage, right? Yeah. He's a powder mage. Um, 
Yeah, he was in the Crimson Campaign. He's always the one who is like chomping at the bit. He's yeah. like, "Sir, you said you'd let me kill Kez. I need to right. kill Kez today." <laughs> well, and, he's no uh, more. Yeah, he just snap of the finger and poof, head explodes. Um, <laughs> uh, if you've ever seen, and, uh, if you've ever seen, have you ever seen um, the boys on Amazon Prime? I have not. No. Okay. Well, in that show, there's a character who has this power where uh, she can explode heads. So that's a that's a maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a that is a power. I'm glad I do not have. I don't want to accident <laughs> accidentally discover that because most likely that would have been in my home. Like, oh, I just learned that I can explode heads. No, thank you. No, thank yeah, that you. would not be fun. Um, and I think Daniel's going to come on scene, uh, and he's just going to experience the raw power of brood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so him and Daniel are being, or Tamas and Daniel are being like levitated by brood who is only able to be stopped by when another god intervenes. And so that's Adam is going to appear on the scene. Um, Even though he said he like, wasn't going to intervene. Yep. He comes in and uh, kind of knocks them, gets them free. So now um, we are going to get our um, heroes over to uh, Skyline Palace. Uh, yep. They're going to to make a run for it. Um, he and Tamas is going to remind Taniel about like the secret passage uh, in Skyline Palace, mm-hmm. and that's going to get Taniel over to Kapol, who's just sitting on the throne, chilling, just kind of waiting around, and then very brutally is going to help Taniel kill her guards. <laughs> Um, yeah i like how he like he like goes in he kills a few privileged and then he walks in a little bit more and she just goes ahem he's like excuse me i'm over here (laughs) yeah yeah and then she gives like all these saucy like um like non-verbal communications like Daniel's talking to her and she's like rolling her eyes she's like of course i'm here of course i'm trying to like kill the gods right um and then a very important event happens. So one of the guards who's been mutilated is still dying there. And Carpole is going to take the bayonet out of a gun, plunge it into this guy. And then you see the dark magic like inside of Carpole. It's going to suck 50 years of life out of him and go into this yeah. bayonet. And the, an and the bay- interesting scene. Yeah, like... It's such a dark scene. Like, you know, Daniel's like reflects on it and is just like, this is like the darkest magic that like royal cabals like do in the darkness right. and, and no yep. one knows about. And he like just witnessed it. But now we have a red stripe um, bayonet. So, um, you know, Daniel has had the red stripes before. Carpole has made. Uh, the red stripe bullets for killing um, the privileged uh, back in book one. And now we have like an actual like um, stabbing lethal weapon that he can use to um, 
well, he's like, will this kill a god? And she's like, I don't know. We should try it. (laughs) That goes back to like the at the beginning of the book where she's like, I mean, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants or I'm just like trying random magics and I'll just find out what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Capole is such a like an interesting character in that way that she's just like, I'm trying to figure it out. And she's always very nonchalant and always like trying to figure it out. She's like, ah, it'll work out just fine. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then at the end of this chapter here, we have the Bo and Nyla fighting against Lowry. And Bo has, like, he's fought another privilege. His nose was bleeding. And now, like, Lowry's going to, like, pin him up against the wall with another of these burning stakes. Yep. Uh, and Bo is just having, like, a terrible, like, he's missing his leg. He's got headbutt. <laughs> Like to the face, he's got burning stuff in his shoulders. So, Bo yeah, Bo is a is a resilient guy. He's had a rough and, half of the book here. Yeah, he really has. Um, so, right is like right before this big attack happens, Bo is telling um, Nyla about how to combine her fire elemental and her air elemental, and she's. After Bo's attack and Lowry's distracted, she's able to fire these two elements right at her. And uh, Lowry's going to counterattack, but because Nyla was taught about the air, she's able to counter the counterattack and uh, take out Lowry, who has been a very powerful sorceress, um, you know, privilege here, trying to take out Bo. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she keeps getting the best of Bo. Um in all these situations. So Nyla again proves her strength and is able to take her out. Yep. Um, at this Indeed. point, uh, uh, we have Tamis and his soldiers. They're going to break into Skyline Palace and try and, um, you know, figure out how to, how to win the day. And that, that's their plan at least. <laughs> um, Go out trying. Yep. So um, now we're gonna have. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like they basically have this squad of soldiers going up to the palace, and we have this like flare of sorcery, and like everyone just gets like wiped out. It's funny, like Tamus is like he's always the one that just survives, Um, but Mm -hmm. I guess he's like trying. He's trying to build up to this last final confrontation. So, well, I'll allow just having some plot armor and a few. In a few scenarios here, um, mm-hmm. how do you how do you feel about plot armor? Is it a <laughs> do you like that's it not it... a term that I'm very familiar with? Oh, okay, so plot armor essentially is like characters who can't die because the plot needs them to survive, not for any other reason than that. So they'll mm. they'll go they'll get through scenarios that they probably should be dead, or you know something weird happens that like allows them to survive. Um, and that's just called plot armor because the plot demands them. The plot demands that they survive, and so they just survive. Sure. So, um, I've never heard that term before, but it's de- like I'm thinking back through like how many movies where all the characters have plot right. armor on. Sure. Oh, anyway, we can uh, keep going with the story here. Um, yeah, we're getting to the end. Yeah, the very end. So, so. Um, Basically, we're going to have like 
the come up and stay for the gods. <laughs> we are saying goodbye to uh, Claremont, Karis, um, Cresimir. and Cresimir. Is Adam one of them? Does he does he go? No, he doesn't. He he's he stays alive, as far as I know. So um, we have Tamas and Claremont, and they're at each other's throats. And uh, Taniel is going to arrive on scene with the new um, red stripe um, bayonet, and he's going to get the drop on. I think first it's um, Claremont, Claremont, right? And then he's able to. Um, or no, is it Kresimir? Oh no, yeah. It- okay, I okay, I remember what happens here. So basically what happens is Taniel and Kapol come in. I think Kapol, she takes her doll of Kresimir that's been keeping him bound and she like mm-hmm. throws it and it's like unbinding itself in midair. And so uh. Kresimir is coming back alive. And so this forces Claremont to use his special dagger thingy that he was going to use to kill Cresimir, which forces him to use it immediately to get rid of Cresimir so that mm-hmm. he doesn't have to worry about Cresimir. So Claremont makes the move to get rid of Cresimir. He's successful in that attempt, but that leaves an opening for Taniel to use his new special bayonet to jab Claremont. It says like right through the soft of his neck or something and up to his brain. Like that's yep. the phrase that he uses in the book. Um, and so Taniel gets the better of Claremont. So now Claremont is dead. And then, but now Cheris is like, Oh, now I have Taniel. But, and then, so Taniel takes out his bayonet. He's like, I surrender. And he like acts like he's going to give the bayonet to Cheris. And Cheris is like, what you surrender. But instead like he chucks the bayonet up into the air, which lets, lets Capold jump over Taniel and grab the bayonet and like come down and like slam the bayonet onto <laughs> Cheris. And then, Kapol just goes like she goes like crazy and just starts stabbing her like repeatedly. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. And, and then Tandil's like, crazy. okay, she's dead. She's dead. You're yep. you're good. Yeah, you, you need to you need to stop. Yeah. Just the alley oop for the right, uh, yeah. for the for the finish here. Um so it was a typical yeah. like action movie ending, like the you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> the big defiant blow against the the big right. bad in the book. Right. Um, um, then we get a very sad scene at the end of this chapter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, out of the rubble, you know, like we, we're kind of like cleaning up the palace and everything. Um, Adam is going to come in. And oh, we didn't, going- you didn't, you didn't get the ending of that scene though. What, what happens at the end of that scene? Somebody dies. <laughs> yeah. I, um, Yeah. Sorry, I, I forget that we have this moment here with Daniel and his dad, and and like, it is heart wrenching. Like in the book, he's like, you know, dad, right. and uh, yeah, and and Tamis, um, you know, he's like saying, you can't go, and he's like, no, I I'm I'm going to go this time, right? Yeah, and then like, yeah, that was that. I didn't cry this time. I believe I cried the first time that I read it because I was just like, man, it's Tamis. He's like the. Yeah. He's, he's like un- the he's unkillable. Of the country. Yeah. I like the last phrase, or the last thing he says. He says, uh, your mother says hi, or something like that. Yeah, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
so yeah we get the we get the final the final goodbye of tamas which yeah as gabe mentioned is is a good good send-off for him because he has he accomplished everything that he set out to do at the beginning of the trilogy i think and so yeah (laughs) sorry you can continue with now post post crazy events happening yeah so um adam is going to come in and like um you know find tamas in in the wreckage of the palace and like he's going to like shed a tear mm-hmm. and um he's also going to make an announcement that taniel is dead um to all there who are um you know in the crowd watching this happen um yeah interesting then, yeah uh, and then we are going to go to Nyla and Bo, and it's like some time after all of this event, all the events have happened, and we're like wrapping up the book here. And so Nyla and Bo have formed the new uh, Republic Cabal, um, which also includes Powder Mages. So they've kind of rolled in the Powder Mages into um, the new Cabal, and they have decided that they are not going to be like anyone's lapdog they're going to be like in the army reporting to officers and not beholden to any one group like the aristocrats you know Mm -hmm. or or like one person um because that's how you will give if you give someone that much power to wield all of their power together that person will use it for you know corrupt purposes essentially Mm mm-hmm um, and then we have the same, uh, scene with Daniel and Julene, um, where he goes in to see Julene because he said he promised that he would kill her, uh, when they're up there, like, uh, in the second book on those crucifies yep, yeah. on these humongous crosses on the Kez army. And then they have an exchange and Julene actually, um, in exchange for forgiving everyone who was involved with her um, events in Adapest and the losing of her hands, um, uh, she's able to go free. Uh, go free. That's what um, Taniel and her come to that agreement that mm-hmm. um, no one else needs to die. Taniel is tired of, of killing. Yep. Um, so... I didn't even explain that uh, Vlora and Taniel are kind of meeting and that, uh, yeah, Taniel has, like, gone undercover and he's, like, the war hero, but he's decided to live a life out of, like, the public spotlight and um, yep. just continue to be dead. Yep. Um, so... Yeah. You want, that was, you want that was kind of that, that was kind of the epilogue. Like, she goes and into the... Uh, Tamus's old office because it's now her office because she is now the youngest general in Andron history and she's like well I don't know if I really deserve this because everyone else is like dead essentially and she was like the like the only one left to promote I think that's basically kind of kind of what happened um, but I mean I think she's shilling herself a little too short because she did in uh, the first half of this, po- in the first part of the of the podcast, uh, for the first half of the book, we it was mentioned like whenever Tamus was giving, whenever Tamus left the war effort to go and save Taniel, he had left a bunch of instructions for Vlora and stuff. But there were many scenarios that 
Tamis did not leave instructions for, and so Valora had to make decisions all on her own, leading this army, and she did an excellent job, and she did a very, you know, she Tamis did, said she did better than he did. Right, exactly. So she may think that she doesn't deserve it, but I mean, she definitely does. Like she is extremely capable. She's a powerful powder mage. She's tactically sound in terms of making decisions on the war front. So I mean, I think she's definitely a good choice for that position. I think she'll do uh, a very good job in it as well. So props to Valora, good character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is kind of the last scene where we get uh. Daniel showing up and just to say his final goodbye to Valora and just kind of explain like why he's doing what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think at the end it was Olam shows up and he was like, who are you talking to? And she was just like, just shadows of the past. And that's the, that is the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to go out with um, the open end of Daniel being, <laughs> There. Hey, we and there and with that we that made it. our way through the first uh, trilogy. There you go. That's it. Good job, everybody. If you were reading along with us, we are we're happy to be done with the trilogy, and it's a uh, it's good to uh, you know finish something, and uh, it's a good sense of accomplishment, and uh, it's good to have a nice resolution to the story. Um, yeah. What do you, do you have? I don't know. Just like any maybe any overall thoughts of the whole trilogy and. I know it was your second read through, um, but mm-hmm. hopefully because we're doing it for the podcast, you got a lot more out of, you know, talking about it and like all the in- intricate details of all the things that were happening and the plot points and the different magic systems and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the um, yeah, the interesting thing is um, when you read a book for the first time, like you can say it's a good book, but then right. it's the times when you go back. And you know the ending and like you can appreciate like how the the author is building the story. And I see this a lot with like Robert Jordan's books and like even here like how they like the authors are planting seeds and you don't see them. Right. Like for hunt like well, for Wheel of Time like hundreds of pages like there's just like this one nugget like way back at the beginning and then you're like oh he's drawing on that throughout there and right. that's you know like one of the things i was thinking about was um our the the traitor um in in, in uh, wheel of time. the wheel of in the wheel oh, of time pot on fame and he uh no the other one who was um Aiel, and he was meeting the dark one and he oh. walked around with uh with like he was missing his sword and that was like the first scene of the book and then like the whole book he's the traitor and you don't know until like the very end um and uh that's uh it's not uno it's the other um it's the other guy i can't remember off the top of my head mazma but um what is it mazma m-a-s-e-m-a or something like that I don't uh, see the I don't see the names. I can't do it's it. Probably, it's probably I'm not. I haven't, I haven't read Wheel of Time recently, so I'm out on all the details of Wheel of Time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> beyond that, I mean, um, the I just enjoy the stories that Brian McClellan has told to us, and I love the the, the world that he has crafted um, yep. with the Powder Mages being such like a unique 
sort of like magic wielder. Um, you know, I don't really know. You know, I haven't gotten into all like you know fantasy and science fiction, but I just really appreciate the world that was built here and how like there were checks and balances even with like people seeming like they were super powerful like there was always like a <laughs> Kapol is the ultimate check and balance like you, right. you think you're a god like n- nope <laughs> uh, she, she will put an end to you if she wants to so. yeah yeah I mean well, I, agree. I think it was a yeah I agree I think it was a good a good trilogy and um, I think it was really just very character focused and it was more it was very about very much about the relationships between the characters and um there was definitely a lot of like you know grandiose kind of plots and overarching political scheming and stuff happening in the book um but and i mean in general whenever you read stories and uh like especially like fiction novels like the like the important thing about whenever you're reading is the characters and you know what the characters motivations are and like how they interact with the other characters and like how you can relate to yourself in those different scenarios and how you would react in those situations and putting yourself in those characters shoes and so yeah i think uh yeah this trilogy just had some good characters and some fun uh interactions with those characters and um so yeah i just kind of like that and i mean that can kind of lead us in a little bit to some of the major themes and i think we'll just probably revisit some of the ones we talked about in the first part of the book uh for part one of this podcast uh which is like family and friendships and so we have some different things uh with like tamas sacrificing himself for his son we have Daniel finally getting his father's approval because he says you know like i'm proud of you uh at the very mm-hmm. end there before he dies um and then we also have laura and Daniel mending their relationship um, and kind of going their separate ways with like a mutual understanding, like, you know, both people made mistakes and, uh, you know, they can still forgive each other in the end. And, uh, so first some little bit of Bible before we leave, uh, for Tim is sacrificing himself. It's just the classic passage from, or verse from John 15. It just says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, like a father sacrificing himself for his son, um, so, I mean, just like Jesus sacrificed his life for us and uh, so we can be adopted as sons of God. And so just kind of a direct par- parallel, though, par- parallel there. And uh, with the Vlora and Daniel, um, I have a passage here from James. It's uh, James 1, 19 through 21. Uh, it just says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And uh, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And uh, I think like their relationship is the epitome of like they were they were quick to anger. At least Daniel was like he did not want to hear Valora's side of the story. They didn't want to you know speak to each other. This is also applicable to Tamis's experience with the Kez and how he made that poor decision about not hearing their messengers. Like he was yep. quick to anger. He did not want to hear any other opinions about what he, what other people thought about what happened in that situation. And that was to his own detriment. And so if he would have been slow to speak and slow to anger, you know, a lot of this could have been avoided and peace could have been had. And King Ippoli wouldn't have died because they would have had peace and his uh, son wouldn't have had to, 
<laughs> have a coup to kill his own father and uh, to get the surrender to happen. So. It was going to happen. It, was just, it wouldn't have happened in that moment. The, the son was like, he saw his opportunity. He's yeah, like, he did. Oh, there's all this, this chaos. But, you know, he was planning <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, it was I'm, gonna happen either here or someplace else. Yeah, true. Well, still, it was a bad decision by Tamas. And if he would have followed this biblical oh, yeah, wisdom, for sure. if he would have followed this biblical wisdom, it would have been in a different situation. And uh, yeah, another theme we had was the ends justify the means, which we talked about in part one, uh, where we're talking about Nyla kind of having an, an issue with, you know, using her powers for, you know, seemingly. Like she's doing evil things, but she's doing it for the right reasons um, or she's doing it to save the people that she loves. And so I think she kind of gets over this fear of killing for the right reasons. And so it doesn't seem like she has any problem with this anymore. But um, yeah, I don't know. So maybe maybe she'll show up in the other trilogy and we'll see more of you know what's happening with her. And uh, I think we kind of already talked about like the resurrection kind of theme with Adam. So I will, you can go back to that section of the podcast to check out that discussion as well. So yeah, those are some of our major themes and I think that's going to be it. This one is really long guys. I think this might be the longest podcast we've ever done. We're almost at two hours here. So (laughs) crazy. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to call it. Do you have any last thoughts on, uh, just this, this book and this, this, uh, this trilogy? I think, you know, I think I said earlier that I just really appreciate the, um, the, the world crafting that went into building these kind of magic systems were really good. But I also, I also like the grittiness of, uh, Brian McClellan, like his descriptions yeah. are, are graphic. Um, but I, I just, uh, I, I just enjoyed, uh, the book and the story arcs and like the characters. So, uh, just all around like great, great trilogy. How about you? Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I agree. I think I'll, at some point I will pick up the second trilogy for sure. And there's also a ton of short stories and like novellas as well that he's written. So I might check out some of those if you want, if, we, if I want like a quick read, maybe. Yeah. Um, ben Stike. Yep. You'll meet Ben Stike. He's, he's oh, have you character. have you read some of the some of the bonus stories? Uh, I haven't, but he's in the next trilogy, and this oh, okay. like the novellas kind of like build out his his backstory. From what I understand, I haven't read those uh, though. Okay, cool. So yeah, maybe I'll check out some of those, and you could check him out as well, I guess. And yeah, so that's gonna do it. Thank you for watching, everybody, or listening. Uh, the next episode is we're going to be returning to Vinland Saga. We're going to be doing chapters 17 to 21, which will be, I actually have the book sitting right here. This is the uh, book two, which is the second hardcover in the series in the English version. So yeah, book two and chapters 17 to 21, if you want to read along with us and yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Make sure you check out our website, pagesoflight.com and also check us out on social media. Go follow us on or subscribe on the YouTube if you want to check out the video version and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can to help support the show. And yeah, check out some of our other content. Uh, We have two other, we have a bunch of more episodes in the Powder Mage trilogy. If you're just tuning in for this one, you want to check out our other discussions on the series. And yeah, that's going to be it. Thank you guys for reading or (laughs) thank you for watching. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And 
we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.